over the last several weeks, we have been in a series titled Seven Letters. And we've been studying the words of Jesus to seven churches that were located in the region of Asia Minor. And these words uh, were penned while they were penned thousands of years ago, as we've discovered uh, through our study. They were quite relevant to the body of Christ with respect to the world that they were uh, encountering back then, but also the one that we're encountering today. In those days, these were dark times that presented challenges to believers due to the pressures that enticed many of them to bend to the norms of the world. It made way for an uprising of godliness that had an appearance of all things pertaining to God, but denied the power of God. And there were many who, while they were in the body of Christ, they began to turn away outrightly from Christ. And so therefore, these letters provided great instruction, great insight, great warning to these churches in Asia Minor to remain steadfast and overcome. And ladies and gentlemen, they still do that today for us. And so from these letters, we glean great hope because they remind us, you got to get the intent of Jesus' words to all these churches and to us today. It's still the same message today. I'm calling you to be steadfast. I'm calling you to stand. I'm calling you to, to, to withstand. I'm calling you to be patient. I'm calling you to endure. And if you do, if you remain faithful, he says, you will overcome. You were built to overcome. Tell somebody, you were built to overcome. I pray you believe that. Listen, some, tell somebody, you, you need to tell somebody, I am an overcomer. Now, I pray you believe that because that's what Jesus created you for. And so today I'd like to talk to you on the topic of the little church that could. Now, I know for some of you what you're thinking, right? You're thinking about that story. So you know what? I'm going to just indulge you and I'm going to go there. On the story of the little engine that could, and I'm taking it way back. I'm taking it to the original version, not the kid-friendly one. I'm taking it back to the one that was written in 1919. It says, a little railroad engine was employed about a station yard for such work as it was built for, pulling a few cars on and off the switches. And one morning, it was waiting for the next call when a long train of freight cars asked a large engine in the roundhouse to take it over the hill. The engine replied, I can't. That is too much of a pull for me. Because and this engine, which was built for great hard work, turned away. Then the train asked another engine and another, only to hear excuses and be refused. In desperation, the train asked the little switch engine to draw up to the grade and Pull it onto the other side. The little engine replied, I think I can. He puffed his little locomotive and put itself on the great heavy train. As it went on, the little engine kept bravely puffing faster and faster and saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And as it neared the top of the grade, 
which, which had so discouraged the larger engines, it went more slowly. However, it still kept saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, until it reached the top by drawing on bravery and then went on down the grade of the other side, congratulating itself and declaring to everyone, I knew I could, I knew I could, I knew I could. Let me ask you a question. What could your life look like in the face of everything that challenges your faith if you believed that you were built for can? I can, I can, I can. See, this story provides us an analogy that exemplifies the heartbeat of the church that we'll be studying today. It's the church of Philadelphia. Though there was much going on around them that defied their stand for their faith in Christ and came against their efforts to share Christ, this church knew the way to stand and triumph. And because of this, not only could they overcome, they did overcome. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 3 verses 7 through 13. Revelations 3, starting at verse 7, says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? This is the pastor. And then he is to address the church. He says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. He says, I know your deeds. The reason why he says, I know your deeds in the Greek, what it reveals is he's saying, I am among you. I am familiar I am acquainted. I am there with you. I'm watching you. I'm observing you. I know you by personal experience. And so he says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is soon that is to come to the, on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. So that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to remind you of the importance of what Jesus is saying here. He delivers a powerful message, but he ends it with a statement that requires us to pay attention. He says, whoever has ears, he's not talking about just the faculty of hearing. He's referring to the one whose heart inclines itself unto the Lord and adheres and follows after and takes the value of that truth as, as more worth than anything else. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The city of Philadelphia was on the eastern border of Asia Minor. 
Philadelphia was known for its many beautiful buildings and for its many gods. Some went so far as to call it a little Athens because there were temples on every one of its streets. See, paganism and everything associated with it was, uh, was rich there, was ripe. And as a result, it pressed upon this church, Philadelphia. This region was important because it held the promise of expansion to the east because from it came a road that went directly from Asia Minor into the outer world, into regions of Syria and Assyria and Mesopotamia and Armenia and Babylonia. For the people there that resided in Philadelphia, this represented a, 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 a reason for pride because they saw that it was an opportunity to expand their ways and it gave them, it gave them a sense of responsibility to carry on their culture, their pagan beliefs and their language and customs into new regions. Therefore, though this region appeared to provide a door of opportunity for the expansion of the culture in ways that dominated there, that prevailed there, the door of opportunity that existed there, in fact, was really for the church of Philadelphia. See, it was a door to do what God had called them to do and bring the gospel beyond its current reach. May I just say to you, with all love and sincerity, but with a sense of warning and a reminder that every day you have a door of opportunity. Every single day you have a door of opportunity. Now I want you to notice that in this letter, Jesus introduces himself as the one who holds the key of David. The one who holds the key of David. And I want you to consider what that might mean. We're going to look to Scripture to interpret Scripture in a second. I don't want to give you my thoughts on this. I simply want us to consider the Word. But notice that Jesus introduces himself as the one who holds the key of David. And he addresses a people whom he says have little strength. And then he declares to them in the midst of this little strength that he has provided an open door to them that no one can shut. See, the church of Philadelphia was small. It even gave the appearance of being ineffective in light of all the paganism that they were up against. Therefore, many there grew weary in the face of dark times, but Jesus noted their faithfulness was not in vain, and he confirmed the power of their witness and their faith. So I want you to consider the word key here, the word key denotes power and authority to unlock, to open the way of access for something that is immensely rich and invaluable. It's like opening the floodgates to a consistent and powerful, powerful provision of a flow as if it was coming from a treasure box. Now, when Jesus says, I have given you, I have opened a door, the Greek word there for door is the Greek word tura. And what it depicts is a huge, thick wooden door that is heavy and is hard to push in and of itself, but it's a door that's bolted. And I want you to notice that Jesus says, I have opened the tura. 
I have opened the door. I have opened the impediment. I have opened the very thing that keeps you, that tries to limit you. And so this denotes an open door, but not just any open door. The word open there depicts a door that is open, which furnishes an opportunity to do something of great value. So I want you to see what the book of Isaiah 22, verses 20 through 22 says, because it's the only other time in Scripture that we have record of this phrase, the key of David. For the sake of time, because I can, I can spend two weeks just on this verse, on these verses, but I'm just going to read them by the interpretation of the original language. You'll, you'll note it on the screen and in your Bible uh, differently. You'll see the words used, but I'm going to give you the interpretation. And so it says, then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant the one whom God has raised. That's what the name Eliakim means. And the son who Jehovah, whom has made Jehovah his portion. He says, I will clothe him with your robe, which is of righteousness, and strengthen him with your belt, which the scriptures reveal to us is the word of God. He says, I will commit your government, that's the word for responsibility, into his hand. And he shall be head and founder to all my people and to the house of Judah. The key, uh, uh, the key of the house of David, that speaks of the dwelling place of David. You want clarification on that? Go to Psalm 91. David refers to an intimate relationship with God where he is hidden under the shadow of his wings. So it says, the key of the house of David, which means my beloved, I will lay on his shoulder, speaking of Jesus. So he shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. The door that Christ has opened is the one of the kingdom of God. And there is nothing that impedes, God, that impedes God's kingdom to work in your life. And there's nothing that impedes you from a relationship and drawing from that relationship, that power that you need, that authority that you need, that direction. Nothing stops you from getting that from God's throne room unless you choose. I'll show you that in a second. And so this tells us that Jesus is the one who wields authority and has the power to unlock the kingdom of heaven, which provides us opportunities, opportunities that he has set before us. Though you may grow weary and have little strength, according to the words of Jesus, he says, press on. Because in the midst of your difficulty, Christ has provided a door of opportunity for you to finish what he commissioned you to do. The door is open. You know, the, the ways of this world dictate that you and I are to look for the moment that opportunity knocks at our door. But for you, child of God, for you, believer, for you, chosen one, the opportunity isn't knocking. It's waiting for you to walk through the door that God has provided to you by Christ so that you can accomplish all that God has purposed for you from the beginning of creation. The door is open. Question, are you walking through it? Now, the book of Acts records a moment in the lives of 
two men. One named Paul, the other one named Silas. And as these men journeyed through Macedonia, we have record in Acts 16 that these men were bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ into a new region called Macedonia. And up until this point, Paul's ministry had helped to advance the message of Christ as Savior. And he had established many churches in Gentile regions. But now Paul is in new territory. And one day, the scripture says, as they were going to the place of prayer, they encountered a slave girl. Now, this was a girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination, which many people sought out. And so this girl brought great profit to her masters who exploited this demonic empowerment. And so as Paul and Silas were walking by, the scripture says that this girl began to cry out, These men are servants of the Most High God and proclaim the way to salvation. At surface level, it sounds like she was doing a good thing, but it wasn't. You see, the original language reveals that her proclamations, while true, carried a mocking tone. She was making light of their call and what they were and who called them this this demon and so the scripture says that one day Paul became exasperated is the language that it uses in other words he said basta hasta aquí llegué enough is enough feme la bouche right whatever that means i know it means i don't know shut up or something like that whatever it means anyway he grows exasperated, and the scripture says that he cast the demon out. And though this was a good thing, indeed, it created a problem because it brought great financial loss to her slave masters who were influ influential in this region. And as a result, Paul and Silas found themselves surrounded by mobs that amassed around them, claiming that they were guilty of teaching customs that were illegal for Romans to practice. This was not a mere matter of imprisonment, ladies and gentlemen. This was an attack on their faith. This was an attack on their efforts to advance the gospel. This was an attack on what they, what they held to be true. This was an attack intended to destroy them. Acts 16, 22, I'd like you to join me there, says that a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials, watch this, ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. But it gets worse. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. And so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped and so he drew his sword to kill himself. He did because he was responsible for them. And if they were not there, he was the one that would be executed. Verse 28, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon. 
and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? As we can see, this attack, this plot, this, this uh, 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 resistance against them went far beyond accusations and words. For many of us, it's hard to identify with this level of resistance and persecution for our faith. We, don't, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. Ladies and gentlemen, wake up. Wake up. Jesus, in every letter, warned of what was to come to the church. You thought they had it bad then? He was warning what was to come. And thus, the message was to empower and equip the body so that when the day would come, they would stand. Listen, if you are bending now to the rules of men and to the norms and the culture of this world, you will not stand then. The time to stand is now. The time to hold to what is true is now. The time to live uncompromisingly is now. It doesn't matter if it is offensive. Ladies and gentlemen, are you concerned with offending men or offending God? And so listen, listen to this. This attack went well beyond accusations and words. These men were publicly shamed. The scripture says that they were beaten severely and then they were jailed in the inner dungeon of the prison. This is not just a cell in the prison. According to uh, scholars, the inner dungeon in Roman cells was underground and it was a place where you weren't just in a cell. When you were placed in stocks, you just didn't have chains on your ankles and, and, and your wrists. No, you were laid out and you were stretched in, in such a manner that while you were in these stocks, there was a constant pressure pulling at every ligament and every bone and every part of your body. It was torture. And so one would think that upon finding themselves in such drastic circumstances... That Paul and Silas, we would have record of them complaining. Praying and saying, oh God, please deliver me. God, help me, please. This is unfair. I recant. I turn around. Yeah, I, I decry what I've claimed to believe. We don't find any of that. As a, as a matter of fact, according to the verses we just read, what we find is that they were in prayer. And that wasn't praying, oh me, God, help me. The word prayer there is the Greek word prosukumai, which means worship. Listen, these guys were focused on God, worshiping God, looking to greater things, believing in greater things, and drawing great strength. These guys weren't praying, oh me. The scripture goes on to say that these men sang hymns. The word hymn there is the Greek word hymnail, which means a song of celebration. Celebrate good times. Come on. They were celebrating. Now, I know for many of us, we go, yeah, I'm not there yet. 
Listen, though they had suffered for living by their faith and operating according to it, and now they found themselves in a state of captivity and even bodily weakness, they remained steadfast. You know, faith in Christ is the greatest power that you can apply in the face of pressure. The scripture says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But you see, that's a choice to live by that. You have to press harder when you're pressed. You have to press on when you're pressed. And so while these guys were in chains, what we see is that the door was open to them. Scripture says that the entire jail shook. And it didn't just unhinge the doors. It blew the hinges off of the chains that kept them captive. Let me say something to you. That door is the door that Christ says lays open to you. That door. That door. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to give you just some practical application steps that we note from the Church of Philadelphia and from the example of Paul and Silas about standing and withstanding and taking the lane to the door that God has for you. I think for some of us, here's where you are. You have to accept that God has provided you that door. You've become so accustomed, so callous, so numb to the challenges of life and, 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 and the religion that you grew up in. I'm just, I'm, look, I've been there. I understand that pressure. I understand that. I know what it is to still have people who are ultra-religious in my ear. So, yeah, but the Bible says this, but the Bible says that, but the Bible says this. But you never go check it. You never go see if it's the word of God. That was a shocker, right? <laughs> Wake up. Listen, the first thing I want to leave you with here today is that freedom in the face of persecution and tribulations is contingent upon the focus of your worship. I'm going to say that again. Freedom in the face of persecution and tribulations is contingent upon the focus of your worship. Now, let me, let me qualify that. Like Paul and Silas and the believers in... Philadelphia, these people had a focus, a resilience, a great determination in the face of persecution directly tied to their faith. They could have worshipped themselves in these moments. What are you talking about when you say it? That doesn't even make sense. You know when you're worshipping yourself? When, when the tribulation becomes about how unfair it is to you. It's not fair. It's not right. 
I should have the same freedoms everybody has. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. But in those moments when, you're, when your faith is tested, when those who love you and now deride you because you claim allegiance to Christ, when you find yourself in the midst of circumstances that press upon your faith, Let me tell you, you can either worship God or worship yourself. They could have worshipped themselves in this moment by their complaints and their cries for justice. But instead, these people worshipped God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we are always in a state of worship. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 10, 27. He says, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. The reason why he said this is because everyone is devoting their heart, their soul, their strength, and their mind to something. Everyone is. Whether you believe in God or not, human beings are the only species in all creation that worship. Some of us worship our carnal desires. Some of us worship our goals. Some of us worship our aspirations. Some of us worship our desires to advance. Some of us worship people. Some of us worship possessions. Some of us worship power. Some of us worship what we can get. But you and I were created to worship God. And so while you're doing this, while, while, while we pursue worship, Outside of God, it reminds me of the story of the monkey who got his hand caught in a coconut. This monkey's swinging around. He's swinging around, right, doing what monkeys do. He's going through the jungle. And then one day he comes across a coconut. Smells different. So he picks up the coconut. Some might say I'm do a pretty good impression of a monkey. But he picks up the coconut and he sniffs it and he notices that there's a little hole and he sticks his hand there and when his hand is in there, he feels rice. So he clings to that rice and he begins to pull and to pull and to pull and to pull. But you see, the only way he could get his hand out is if he opened it. But he's so stuck on what he desires, what he wants, what he's holding on to, what seems better, what appeals, what smells better, what gives the appearance of what's best in life. He's so intent upon that, he's holding on to it with dear life that he doesn't notice the trap. And here comes the trapper and he just throws the net over him and goes, come on little monkey, let's eat. Listen. We can become so consumed with ourselves that we grow weak and live trapped, not realizing that we have an open door to the throne room of God and the supply for what he has commissioned us to do. This is where the church of Philadelphia differed from most. Though they had little strength, All the strength they had, all the love they had, all the thoughts they had, all that pertained to their lives was submitted in devotion and worship to God. You know, when your devotion is misplaced and you worship yourself, 
You worship your desires. You know what begins to happen? The things that this world does that directly contradict the word of God don't even bother you. As long as it's not, as it's not affecting me, it's a lie. It's deception. You are deceived, my friend. Hear the word of the Lord today. See, these people, they refuse to relent. When they seemed like they couldn't go on, they had to go on. When it looked like their efforts weren't working, they trusted that God was still working and faithful and true. When the world around them tried to silence them, they continued to speak the truth with boldness and declare it and stand upon it, come what may. Like Paul and Silas, these people, when their faith was pressured and the world around them was converging on them, it just provided an opportunity to reveal what was within them. Great faith overcomes great tribulation and circumstances. It takes great faith to do that. Great faith. Great faith. Listen to Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, which tells us something about what you and I have. It says, we have this hope in Christ. It's referring to as an anchor for the soul. We are firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. It's talking about at the very throne room of God where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. If you've ever been on a boat, and you've dropped an anchor, here's what you know. You can't see what it anchors to. You know what you're anchored to according to the scriptures. You don't have to wonder if you're going to hit rock and you're going to be solid. You cannot be moved when you anchor yourself, your faith, to a trust that's complete and whole in Christ. See, when your hope and your worship are anchored in Christ, what we see here is that it opens the door to the throne room of God where you can draw strength, where you do live effectively, and you are unswayed, come what may. My prayer for you is that your hope in Christ would grow to be so great that when your faith is pressured, those pressures would only serve to release the power of your hope in Christ and make a difference in this world. The second thing I want to leave you with here is that persecution and difficulty are a disguise meant to deter you from a God-ordained opportunity. Let me say that again. Persecution and difficulty are a disguise meant to deter you from a God-ordained opportunity. Let's leave that point up for a bit. The church of Philadelphia was comprised of people who were living on mission. They were focused, they were determined, they were fully devoted to the cause of Christ. And as a result, they were driven by the opportunity to advance the message of Jesus Christ as Savior unto all. But that doesn't mean that they did not grow weary and that their strength did not grow faint. The truth is that we too grow weary. We experience the, the diminishment of strength at times. But your condition does not change God's mission, nor does it change your qualification and your call. Now more than ever, ladies and gentlemen, is a time when 
true believers must rise up and take a stand for what is morally, spiritually, and scripturally correct. Our stance is not to be political. It is to be scriptural. It's time that the church wake up because the, the policies being put into place under the banner of equality, under the banner of women's rights, under the banner of anti-discrimination is a direct assault on your right and mind to assert our, our inalienable rights given to us by God. They infringe upon God's definition of what is a man and a woman. They condone, uh, uh, they condone and fund abortion. They advance and agitate racial tensions. And they are setting a foundation for the persecution of the church and all that is good and godly. It's the beginning. I know for some of us we struggle in what you're hearing me say. I just want you to consider the word of God. But the day will come when we will look back and we will go, wow, it was so. Not because I said it. Open your eyes to what's happening, ladies and gentlemen, in this world. The entire world is looking to this nation and what we will do. And let me tell you something, church. You know where the church has gone wrong? We've bought into the lie that we are the minority. No, we are the majority. No, we are the majority. No, can one person help me out here? We are the majority. Listen closely. You are not the minority. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But if we don't stand for the truth, we will fall for the lies. You know, I recognize that this is online, and I recognize that there will be people that will watch this. And I unapologetically, unequivocally make this statement. For some people, they will call what I am saying hate speech. No, it is the truth in love. It is the truth in love. And if it offends you, you got to go to God on that one. You got to go to God on that one. <laughs> Matter of fact, if it offends you, then you should consider which side you stand on. See, these pressures that are beginning to formulate, these pressures that will come in greater measure, they are a distraction. And you, child of God, must not bend to the world. You must not compromise and conform. You must not give in, though it gets hard. Because no matter what the devil and his minions are doing, you have an open door. Your call is sure and secure, and you must stand. Consider the words of Paul as it pertains to this point in 1 Corinthians 16.9. Paul says this, for a great and effective door has opened to me. He's talking about Macedonia, where he was going. 
He's talking about the very place where they imprisoned him and put him in the stocks and they were torturing him. And he says it's a great and effective door that has opened to him. And watch this. And then he says, and there are many adversaries. Listen, Paul was aware of his adversaries. But he was focused on the God-ordained opportunity that lay before him daily. Don't buy the lie of the diminished strength you feel at times. Don't buy into the deception and distraction that challenges pose. Because if you do, you'll miss the door that Jesus says, I've provided for you. A door. A door. The last point I want to leave you with this morning is that if you ever feel like giving up just remember why you kept holding on in the first place if you ever feel like giving up just remember why you held on in the first place hear where I'm coming from the people in the church of Philadelphia they endured moments where their strength was wearing thin They wanted to give up at times. It was hard standing for the truth. It provided opportunities for ridicule. It provided opportunities to be the odd man out. It, prov it provided lost opportunities. <laughs> they were looked down upon. I imagine the people said, look at this little church, Philadelphia. Look at these little people among us talking about Jesus. Talking about what they believe and being stubborn and not just going with the flow. Not just following our norms. After all, we're happy. We've got it together. This is what the world is. This is what we all do. You should be doing what we do too. It's in those moments that these people, according to the words of Jesus, we see they remained faithful. Though their strength grew thin, they held on. You know, it's in those moments that you and I must encourage ourselves by bringing to remembrance why we started on the journey of faith with Christ in the first place and what the promise is that's before us. I remember years ago when I first started coming back to church as a my young adult, it was a decision that shocked many of my family members. They, uh, <laughs> there were people that outrightly made fun of me, mocked me. I remember there was this one guy uh, who I called a friend in those days. I came to find out differently when I made a decision for Christ. A guy uh, named Dan. And you know, we used to do some pretty wild things. But then I made a decision to go in a completely different direction. And man, I got it from all sides. 
felt lonely. It was hard. And I remember one day being in church and it was that moment in the service where they were doing some praise, you know, and some songs were going on. And I found myself walking up to the front of that church. Nobody told me. Nobody called me. I just went up there by myself. And I stood with my eyes closed and my hands up. But let me tell you, within, I was struggling. I was struggling. And there was nothing fake about what I was doing. I was just being very honest with God. And in that moment, I found myself saying, this is hard. And all of a sudden, a desire rose up within me. And I saw myself in the club. I saw myself on the streets. I saw myself among certain people. I saw myself doing certain things. And that desire was strong in that moment. Very strong. So strong that I was actually contemplating with my hands up. Maybe I'll go back. And the moment I thought that, another thought hit me. Go back to what? Go back to what? What life was there in that place for me? It was in that moment that I realized there was nothing to go back to. Everything to go towards was ahead of me and it was in Christ. So let me remind you, according to Psalm 40 verse 2, about where you've left, where we have left, and the invitation for some of us to leave where we are to discover something so much better. Psalm 40 verse 2 says this, He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a solid ground. And he steadied me as I walked along. Let's stand here today. Some of us just need to take a moment to remember. To remember. To remember and appreciate and acknowledge the hand of God on your life. You have every reason not to bend and fall short. To not compromise. Has not God been good to you? Oh, man. You guys got me all messed up this morning. Listen. I want you to see something that's very important that just dawned on me in light of what we're looking at today. Jesus says, you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. He says, you have kept my command to endure. And then he says this, hold on to what you have. Here's the thing. You can't hold on to Christ and hold on to your coconut 
at the same time. It's compromise. It won't work. It might look good, it might smell good, it might feel good. It might take you to that pinnacle in life where you feel like, man, this is exactly where I want to be. Let me tell you, the scripture says that even Satan himself presents himself as an angel of light. He doesn't show up and say, ah, here I am, pitchfork in horns and a tail in a red suit. No, he presents you fruit just like he did to Adam and Eve. He says, here, taste, eat, it's good. But you were created to taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't compromise. Father, today we come to you with responsive hearts. I believe that for some of you, this is a day of turning. It's a turning point. You know, the name Philadelphia speaks of brotherly love. That's what it stands for. That's what it means. And I want you to see that in the fellowship of the body, God extends himself to you as a brother, as a friend. And he says, I'm calling you to follow the door of opportunity that I've provided you. Don't miss it. Don't forsake it. Don't look to the right or to the left. Seek me and me only. Today is a day of decision. To enter into that place of brotherly love and fellowship with Christ. Let me tell you. Everything that was happening amongst these churches was happening in the lives of believers. Don't fool yourself and believe that you are above those circumstances. That you can't fall. You might just be blinded where you are today. Hear the voice of God. See that there is a door of opportunity, not just to do what God has commissioned you to, but to walk with Christ in that process. Today, Lord, we thank you for your word. Your rich, loving, truth-filled word. We receive it. We thank you for it. Now, it's very possible that there's someone here today. Maybe you're joining us online, and as you're hearing this message, <laughs> you're thinking about this whole idea of a door being open, an open door from heaven, a door towards purpose, a door towards destiny, a door towards something greater, a door that offers you so much more than what this world guarantees you. The lies that this world lulls you with. You wouldn't be listening to this. Still, if you who do not believe in Christ were still hearing right now. There's a witness within your heart that understands this. Whatever this world offers me is a facade. My friend, if that's you, I want you to see the picture that God gives us from heaven. He says, I reached into that miry pit. I extended my hand. 
I've taken you from that place where you were stuck. And my intention is to place you on steady ground. To lift up your life. To give you that which is true and good and godly and right. Don't miss this open door of opportunity. If you believe God is speaking to your heart today, then here's the first thing you need to understand. That the greatest example of God reaching into that miry pit is found in John 3, 16 and 17. It says, for God so loved the world. It's not talking about the land. It's talking about all of humanity. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why? Because there was something that was owed for sin, a debt. You and I couldn't pay it. We still can't pay it. And so God said, I know what I have to do because I love them. I have to become like one of them and assume their guilt and declare myself guilty by going to the cross and dying the death, the penalty owed for sin. But in dying that death and assuming that upon himself, the scripture says that he became sin, that we would become the righteousness of God. There's a divine exchange that has happened. He took our sin. And my friend, here's the reality, here's the truth. Sin is not your issue. You are free. But you must walk through that door to experience that life. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ, old things have passed away. It says, behold, all things have become new. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.